0: I'm Mark Gagan and you're listening to the Voice of Insurance podcast, produced in association with Advantage Go, enabling an enterprise view of exposure. Today's interview is one of the most all-encompassing I've ever done. That's all because of the interviewee and his research team who have just produced one of the most comprehensive 1st of January renewal reports I've ever read. The 2022 renewals have been much more interesting than usual. With reinsurers undertaking a fundamental rethink of how they view property cat, alongside taking a view on casualty trends, COVID, and the long term likely effects of both the social and economic forms of inflation. Meanwhile, cyber insurance has been undergoing a huge dislocation and a wholesale re rating, and we have also had the effects of the class of 2020 and record industry capital levels to take into account. For this reason, I was delighted to catch up with David Flandreau head of analytics at Howden's HX unit, to try and make sense of it all. David is one of the smartest analysts dedicated to the insurance world, and he is also a great communicator and great fun to spend time with. Howden's report is out now, and I would highly recommend a read to accompany your listen here, because there are some things that only a well-constructed graph can explain. A link to the report is in the notes. Enjoy the podcast.
1: Hi, I'm Rick J. Lindsay, chairman and CEO of Claims Direct Access, otherwise known as CDA. We all read about the claims nightmares in the United States of America, social inflation, nuclear verdicts, and the sky is falling. Hardly a day goes by without the news of reserve strengthening at major carriers. However, it's not all bad news. In the United States of America, we have the best legal system in the world, which allows you to fight frivolous claims and litigation and come out on top. In this kind of environment, you must get smarter about how you handle your claims and who your partners are. You have to move fast and be robust. CDA has been handling claims for over 40 years nationwide and has a team of 46 claims professionals, including 12 highly skilled attorneys and litigators. We have handled cases for major Lloyd syndicates since 1994, as well as US-based major carriers, and have closed over 70,000 claims since 1994 nationwide. Not settling frivolous litigations is a must. CDA Claim Service means going the extra mile, handling claims quickly and vigorously with a proactive approach. Why not get in contact now to see how CDA can do the same amazing work for you and your partners that they do for me every day. Visit www.claimsdirectaccess.com today. David, welcome back to the Voice of Insurance.
0: Thank you very much. Well, we're here to talk about the 1 1 renewals, an annual fixture, I think, probably for us and for the Voice of Insurance okay. and you, David. So, welcome back. So, let's start with good old supply and demand. What's that balance been at 1 1?
2: Ah, uh, supply and demand. Well, Obviously, one would impute that the supply and demand imbalance has moved in favor of demand a little bit because rates are up. But I think that the story is quite a bit broader than that. One of the analogs that we've been using during this renewal is 2004 and 2005. If you look at 2004 and 2005, you had Charlie, Ivan, Jean, Katrina, Rita, Wilma, liability crisis, and rates went up by 25%. If you look at 2022, you had us coming out of COVID, changes in assumptions about structural and social inflation, you've got a cyber market that's hardening and then you have big questions which we may talk about about secondary perils leading to, you know, four very big loss years, but in fact rates are up by 9%, not 26. So, what does that tell us? It tells us that the reinsurance sector is better supplied at 1 122 than it has been during previous periods of stress. That said, the balance is shifting a little bit, especially at the margin, especially when you look at who's supplying capital for specific deals, and that was part of what drove rates a lot higher. But we are and remain better supplied than we were during the financial crisis or during Katrina. doesn't mean we can be complacent about it in any way, but um, it has been helpful to a, smooth, a relatively smooth renewal compared to previous crises. Because
0: capital increase is now at record levels, isn't
2: it? We think it is, yeah. So our capital number is well in excess of 400 billion, a large proportion of that is made up of alternative capital. And that is on a number, I don't have it off the top of my head, but very close to 350 billion of global reinsurance premium in life and non-life. And yeah, that is a record number. It's been increasing really every year since arguably 2012, 2013. And this year was no exception.
0: By the way, everyone listening, will have all the links to this excellent report that uh, David's referring to in the notes of the podcast. But within all of that, where are the main mismatches? Where are the main battlegrounds? Clearly,
2: in the retrocession market, where we saw rates go up by 15% on average. And by the way, when I give these numbers, these are point estimates. They're risk-adjusted within very large ranges, especially when you get into Europe. But the retro market was one area. Surprisingly, perhaps in the context of the last 20 years, European property cat was another area where supply was constrained at the margin. And that's different. I mean, in the European renewals, we typically see Europe uh, quite a bit smoother and less volatile than US renewals. That wasn't the case this year. So we saw some supply constraints there. But those are the two areas, if I had to talk about classes of business, rather than individual lines, I would say retro and European property cat were where supply was most constrained at the margin this
0: year. And retro is always interesting. I, mean, I was looking at your report and it looks like retro has almost got up to the sort of pricing we saw around 2004, 2005, or is it even it, above? a cor- That's right.
2: Non marine cat retro risk adjusted at January 1st, 2022, is approaching or threatening to approach where it was in 2009. And you can remember that in 2009, we had the complete breakdown of the cat bond market with Lehman Ree, and that affected retro capacity quite significantly. But we're approaching that. It looks to me, just eyeballing this, like we're above where we were at 1108 and we're approaching nine so yes retro has come up quite a lot let's not forget though that it fell very low by the end of 2017 or by the end of 2016. That's just say. the
0: nature of the retro market it's always going to be more vol- out volatile everything else? It's a derivative of a derivative so it's
2: always going to be more volatile definitely
0: yes. And what about European property cat I'd say it's always been the sort of everyone's least favorite place <laughs> for the reinsurers because there's been so much so much supply everyone's happy to get that diversification but they're not Obviously, not happy with the price to diversify away from the peak perils. Mm -hmm. What broke this time? Was it just too many losses? Okay,
2: so this is now getting us into a discussion perhaps of secondary perils, but also there is some reversion to the mean here. As you allude to, European property cat business isn't as volatile and hasn't had a softer ride, hasn't it? It's had a softer ride for sure, but this year at Baden Baden, and I think I can remember this correctly. We had Dr. Pickle come out with a very big statement from Hanover Re. Early in December, we had Laurent Rousseau make a very strong statement from SCORE. This was more than the usual storm and drum of renewals, right? This was them saying, no, we're going to hold the line this year, we're going to be very disciplined. And indeed, by December 31st, we all saw that they did just that. They came in and there was more backbone on European placements than I've seen really in 15 or 20 years. That was very, very clear this time. And so that was different. We typically see negotiations and then kind of narrowing into the the ultimate renewal price by December 31st. Everybody compromises and there was compromise this year too but the reinsurance placements in Europe, definitely they help line more this year than they have in a very long time.
0: I was just remembering back to episode 97, it was Stefan Gollings, Chief okay. Underwriting Officer of Munich Reels, who said, if we don't get our margins this time out, yeah. why should we be here? Exactly. So exactly. there you go. You're saying that perhaps some of those more traditional supporters of that European reinsurers in their home turf, mm-hmm. which obviously, you know, usually very difficult to shift and sort of very loyal, very strong relationships. Some of those relationships been fractured in a certain sense? And has that created opportunity for others? I think that there was just
2: an acknowledgement, as you say, that over the long term, if you take a 20-year view, in a year like this of all years, when in fact you had some loss-affected risk-adjusted covers in Europe up above 40%, and that was because the losses were so big for those reinsurers with Storm Berndt and other perils. Now, this is actually broader than just Europe, though. And I think that the European reinsurers, who are after all global reinsurers, really realized this, What's happening right now is that there is a general reassessment of these things that we used to call secondary perils. And it, it includes European windstorm. It includes European flood. I think Storm Barent was a pretty good example of it. But in the States, you've also got the tornadoes, the derechos, the winter freezes, and crucially, the wildfires. Remember, we used to talk about peak perils, Japanese quake, North Atlantic Basin wind, terror events. Those are the peak perils and these other things are secondary perils. Well, we've now lost tens of billions of dollars over the last four years on what we used to call secondary perils, are they really secondary perils? Or are they peak perils now? And I think that this was a question that was being asked about Storm Bernd, but also about the other quote unquote secondary perils that we've had, like the wildfires. And there is a general reassessment of this risk of this exposure happening in the industry right now that maybe wasn't quite so acute last year. And I think that
0: affected European renewals a little bit as well. So even though people are getting price rises, it was a question of, hang on a minute, actually, I really need to reassess my appetite. Mm-hmm. Under more normal circumstances, they'd have said, great, it's, everything's up 20%. Well, I'm going to write more if mm-hmm. I can. Yeah. But actually here they're saying, actually, if Europe's another peak peril, I need to be really much more careful about how much I write in Europe these days. And so I don't really care about the price so much. It's nice that the price is going up, but I'm still actually holding my line quite low or writing my my signed line rather than my written line last year.
2: Precisely. You'll notice that our headline number, 9% risk-adjusted global property cat, is slightly lower than some other numbers. That's because our number is risk-adjusted. It's not a premium figure. It's a risk-adjusted figure. That means that we're adjusting the denominator. If you will, the exposure as measured by the limit in the denominator has grown, thereby slightly depressing the rate online relative to a premium weighted index. That's exactly what the reinsurers were doing. They were looking at the exposure and saying, wait a minute, we rates have gone up but has the denominator changed in the rate online calculation and therefore is it not going up quite as much as we thought? And that's just a way of saying, are we assessing secondary perils the way we should be? There is a reassessment of secondary perils happening right now in the reinsurance market, and
0: it is affecting price. So it's much more secular, much more fundamental thing you're saying.
2: Absolutely. It's akin, I think, to what happened after 2004 and 2005 with, as I referenced, Ivan, Gene, Charlie, Katrina, Rita, and Wilma those were all North Atlantic Basin hurricanes, and we had huge questions about frequency and severity after that. Right now, we're having huge questions about California wildfire, other secondary perils in the United States, like tornadoes and winter storm and European flood. Are they really secondary perils? And are our assumptions about frequency and severity correct? And I don't think that the market thinks that they are.
0: Whenever we have a fundamental reassessment from main players about what the exposure is and what's the right way of addressing that and what their appetite should be when they're addressing that, that it always makes an opportunity for new capital to come in obviously we've had new capital formation so did this make for an opportunity for that new capital to come and play in Europe for example where it might you wouldn't mind or expected to see it yeah it's a very
2: interesting question and if you look at capital entry into the sector in 2020 you saw something north of 20 billion it was comparable to what happened after hurricane katrina i think in nominal terms not real terms interestingly in 2021 we didn't see that type of capital entry into the sector, it was much slower. And that tells me again that capital players are reassessing the exposure at the margin. Now, the other thing about this is that in the retro market, particularly last year and in previous years, the retro market has come to the table, but come to the table very late with capacity that's been needed at the end of the renewal. That didn't happen this year. Right, And so a lot of that retro capacity comes from third-party investors. We didn't get um, quite the same replenishment at the end of the year that we have depended on in previous years, and that drove retro rates higher. So no, I don't think yet that the appetite of third-party capital providers is as strong as it could be given the rate changes that we've seen. I think it needs to go up a little bit more for these
0: capital providers to come in with both feet. The price changes haven't really quite attracted the attention of new capital investors? Certainly not at the global
2: property catastrophe reinsurance level. If you look at our index, we had the biggest change in our index since 2009, but we've only come back up to where we were in 2014. I'm talking about global property catastrophe risk-adjusted reinsurance here, right, not retro or US property cat or anything like that. But the global number, it's up, but it's still only up to where it kind of was in a softening market seven years ago i think that for people to get really interested it needs to go up a little bit higher and it has done to be fair in certain regions like in the united states mid-year and certainly the last few years it's gone up quite a bit more than it has at 1.1 and that's of course worth consideration but at a global level no i don't think it's come up to that level quite
0: yet and as a consequence how has that ils versus traditional balance played out this year. There seems to be a sense that some of the ILS investors, these third-party investors that we used to worry about so much, and obviously that came in in such a big way from 2014 onwards, we could blame them for creating this dip in pricing. Yeah. that They've been sitting on their hands a bit this time.
2: They have. Now, it depends on which part of the ILS market you're talking about. If you're talking about the cat bond market, I think the cat bond market has renewed quite predictably, and the capacity there has been... It's been there in other parts of the ILS. This is more collateralized retro fund. That's right. That's yeah. that has been more constrained, particularly at the end of the year, going into the retro renewal. The appetite hasn't been as great, and we haven't seen the replenishment that we have in previous years.
0: Is it price related? If, if we got that extra bounce, you think it might come back in? Or I think so. I
2: think that there was a fair amount of ILS capital that came in at one, 1 21 or to, to put it more broadly, over the year two thousand and twenty. And having come into the market seeing rates changing, they were promptly confronted by these big secondary perils where they were put at risk. And I think that that created a little bit of hesitancy this year, no doubt about it. And because of that, yeah, I think that rates probably on a worldwide basis, I'm not talking deal by deal here, but on a worldwide basis, there is some room still to move to get to attract that capital.
0: Not there yet. Mm-hmm. I want to ask in a more generalist sense, if we were talking this some last year, there was mm-hmm. a sense that came out of that renewal that reinsurers were more taking price off the cedents that mm-hmm. this, it, was, it was an insurance hardening and a readjustment, and the reinsurers were happy to get their share of it. Mm-hmm. Going into this renewal, as we alluded to in, in that third, fourth quarter, pre-renewal skirmishing period, strong words from, from reinsurers and a more a more aggressive stance from them mm-hmm. was that palpable, actually? Did, did you feel that they did make more of an effort to make their own market rather than simply take what sedents were giving them?
2: It depended on the line of business. So, yes, what you're saying is true, I think, in Property Cat and certainly Cat Retro there's no doubt about it. But when you move over to proportional casualty, it's quite a different story. And I think to some extent in cyber and possibly in other areas like trade credit, there was still a tendency to take on proportional risk because the underlying rate was good. And I'm talking about proportional casualty, not excessive loss, by the way. But yeah, I think it was much more differentiated. And I think in the property cat market, no, I don't think that Reinsurers were anywhere near as willing to, as you say, be price takers and take their proportion of the rate increase. I think that that didn't happen in the same way this year as maybe it has in previous years.
0: We'll leave the cyber. We'll talk about that later. Okay. But in general, it seems to be almost the story of this renewal, if I'm correct to summarize, has been that I really don't like CAT because CAT seems to be changing and the, the nature of it is something I don't understand, probably need to do more work on, and it's worrying me. But it seems that reinsurers have made a decision about some of the proportional casualty to say, hey, this is a market I understand, and I can see it seems to have been fixed. And we've had increases in commissions, in seeding commissions for students deemed to have got their house in order. Terms and conditions, pricing Mm -hmm. in casualty classes seem to be getting the rewards. And uh, so have reinsurers basically accepted the argument that they've definitely price takers in in this environment and that they can see that profits baked in and they just agree with the seasons and say, can I have more?
2: I think that's true on proportional casualty reinsurance, at least in certain areas. And if you look at our number for casualty reinsurance for 2022, it's the only number besides primary where the rate online increase is less than it was last year. So it was five this year and six last year. I mean, that's probably within the standard error, but it's not an increase on last year, right? And that, that is, in fact, yes, because that is adjusted for seating commissions, and it's on a risk-adjusted basis, and it's heavily affected by proportional business. So you have reinsurers who are perhaps less comfortable with property cat than they were last year coming into the proportional casualty market and providing a little bit more capacity. That's absolutely true, but it's kind of true there. It's true in a couple of other areas, but it's not True in property cat. In casualty, the other thing about our report that I think is a little bit different, if you look at the way we've opened the report, we actually don't open with reinsurance, we open with primary insurance. Because unlike previous renewals, perhaps, a lot of the price action this year is happening in primary insurance. And this is an area where Houghton is quite big and we have pretty good insights. So we can see financial lines, for example, going up really quite substantially. We can see casualty going up quite substantially. And yeah, if you have that type of underlying rate increase, whatever it is, 12 on 14, compounding year over year, you're going to be a little bit more comfortable about taking a proportional share of it. Now, there are still a lot of questions about that. Have assumptions around long-term inflation on the primary business changed? Is that something that we need to assess? Are we going into a stagflationary environment? What are the implications for the discount rate on my reserves? Those are all questions that still need
0: to be asked when you're assuming proportional But business. people are less worried. But people can get,
2: their us head, us, yeah. they can get their heads around it. And what yeah. about
0: COVID, too? Again, we could throw that in the mix into casualty, obviously.
2: Yeah, COVID is going to affect all of those things. I mean, there's three ways that COVID... People
0: stop worrying, effectively, saying that there's enough price action there for people to say, you know what, I'm going to take a view on this one and I want my share this year because it's going to be profitable.
2: I think that's right. I think last year, the primary effect of COVID was on perceived risk premium. That still exists. But right now, the other effects of COVID are on the the inflation question. Is the structural inflation transient or isn't it? And what does COVID say for that? And then the effect on interest rate assumptions and discount rate assumptions. And those are the sorts of things that actuaries can kind of get their heads around and do scenario analyses of, where last year, it was just basically like, oh, my gosh, we had this big white swan event, if you will. And what does that say for the rest of the sector? How exposed are we to things that we don't understand? This year, we're starting to kind of quantify the effect of COVID and then we're able to price it in a little bit better.
0: And in your report, you have a good couple of slides on how COVID is turning out mm-hmm. in terms of reported numbers yeah. versus potentially worst case scenario and best case scenarios. And it looks to be, correct me if I'm wrong, it's tracking nearer the best, better case scenarios.
2: Yes, we were always relatively low in terms of our industry COVID loss estimates. We've been low since the very beginning of COVID. And in fact, yes, in terms of reported losses, COVID has progressed along a logarithmic trajectory. So it started out... You know, here and it's. I'm drawing a picture with my hand, which isn't very good for radio. But it it started out here, and now it's up here. It looks like it's past the inflection point. Now we can't be sure, to be fair, because there are still long tail COVID losses that can come through. But it looks right now like losses will continue to increase on this trajectory. But it seems down. It's never going to
0: get to the hundred billion,
2: is it? It doesn't look that way. Let's not understate it, though. If COVID's 44 billion and you take it all together, that's still the third largest insured loss ever in real terms, if you want to put it that way. So it's way. only
0: surpassed by Katrina
2: By Katrina and, and 9-11. And, 9/11 and, and, and again, we're not including the liability crisis here, which was about 300 billion. But if you want to look at it that way, you can. But some of the early estimates of COVID, it's the biggest loss since the war. It's going to be in the hundreds of billions. Those just haven't materialized.
0: Well, good. Yeah, good. Thank goodness. Yeah. And why is that? Is there anything missing from that equation? Is it just simply things haven't shown up yet or that we haven't had the court cases yet or whatever?
2: Yes, there might be some things that haven't shown up yet. And I don't want to get too far over my skis here because you might have long tail COVID losses coming through that we haven't even seen yet. There might be court cases coming through that we haven't even seen yet. So there are things that could be coming through that we don't know about. But at the end of the day, there's only so much event cancellation cover. There's only so much civil action cover. There's only much covid cover out there and it looks like the bulk of it has been exhausted and now we've got exclusions in most of the contracts and so it doesn't appear at least based on accident year 2020 that it's going to go materially higher and by materially i mean by a multiple of one if you will
0: so do you think that played into forward-looking reinsurers have done those numbers themselves and thinking yeah, that also made them more comfortable in signing up for more proportional yes. casualty at better terms for students.
2: I think that that was a factor vis-a-vis last year. If you were comparing the feeling of risk premium in the market pursuant to COVID in December of 2021 to that of December in 2020, we have a better view on what's happening than we did last year, for sure.
0: We better talk about cyber, which oh, we yes. parked earlier on. So, Cyber, probably the most dislocated market segment out there. Yeah. From reading your report, I sense that there's some some sense that the re-rating and the re-underwriting of of all these portfolios, and perhaps that separating some of the more fair-weather cyber writers from the really hardcore ones, is it right to say that there's perhaps there's a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel that things might be stabilizing, or at least there are now conditions under which things could stabilize Mm in 2022. That's a really interesting question, because in in fact, it occurs to me
2: that if you look at cyber rate changes, they look like the Omicron variant. It looks like Omicron cases. It's parabolic. In fact, if you go back to 2014, when our cyber index begins, we're now, and these are round numbers, we're now 300% above where we were in 2014 for cyber primary cover on a risk-adjusted basis. 100 percentage points of that has come since September of 2020 that's how quickly the cyber market has changed so are we going to see a moderation? I don't know. It's a parabolic curve, and it's just spiked straight up. Inevitably, parabolic curves top out. And that, yes, I I anticipate that that will happen at some point. I just don't know exactly when, but it looks like we're getting to the top of the parabola. And I, I guess, yeah, we might see what we've seen in other primary lines, like financial lines, or casualty lines, or commercial lines generally, where last year we were, say, up 14, and this year we're up 12. That might be what happens in cyber. But clearly, there is lots of momentum still in the cyber market and i i would be remiss if i called the end too soon i
0: don't want to do that also reading your report it correlates almost directly with ransomware it's exploding out of nowhere. Yes. 400% increase in ransomware or something on your, on. or 390% was a number I think jumped out at me from your report. That's that's um, correct. Well, in fact, that the more standard data breach is actually pretty stable, actually um, reducing over time. Would you say it's all conditional on the industry getting a handle on ransomware? Yes. This is- and obviously the clients themselves getting a handle on ransomware and stop being hacked.
2: Yeah. So this is going to be a Hartford steam boiler stroke factory mutual style underwriting process whereby we come in and tell you how to fix your sprinklers or how to set your steam boiler correctly. And that lowers your risk of loss. And that's what's happening. And that's what the best underwriters are doing. They're working with risk managers to mitigate ransomware because you're exactly right. Much of the increase in the last 18 months has been ransomware driven and we won't be able to reach the top of the parabola until we get a handle on it. Now we are getting a handle on it and I think that that will take place but it's been a learning experience for a lot of risk
0: managers no doubt about that. That should really please Adrian Cox who on, on this show earlier late last year said just that he sort of said Beasley would like to become... The factory mutual style underwriter of okay. cyber, so hopefully that will work. Fair enough. The main thing is we need to be clever on all these hackers who now know that there's also insurance backing this stuff, not just big corporations. That's the right. Balance sheets, there's other balance sheets too. So yeah. Anyway, good luck with that. Well, so, but there <laughs> thank is you. possibility. You say at least mathematically and theoretically, there is a the rate has now come up to meet the increase in severity and frequency that we've seen.
2: Like I say, we're up 100% since September of 2020. We're up 300% since 2014. Whether we've reached the very top, I don't know. But it looks like it still has some room to run. The curve that I'm looking at still
0: looks pretty vertical obviously when we talk at one one we talk about these huge macro terms yeah 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 and there's usually something specific somewhere yeah that is always of interest you know is it something that's line specific or territory mm. specific so are there any of those knocking around that obviously you can't put in a report you can't do a whole section about but is it <laughs> is there anything particularly interesting going on in a small corner of uh, the insurance and insurance world we tried in our report to include everything even the things
2: that we saw in the small corners We titled the report, Times Are A-Changin'. That's a reference to Bob Dylan, as some people may know, but the Times, change is kind of a corporate buzzword that everybody uses, but my goodness, this year, things really are changing. And we try to talk about those big drivers of change. So for me, the biggest driver of change right now is this reassessment of secondary perils. That seems to be driving just about everything, certainly in the property market. The other one is inflation, and the other one is climate change, and the other one is cyber. So I guess we have three C's in there, COVID, climate change and cyber. Those for us are the big drivers right now. Trade credit was quite interesting. I think that trade credit has done quite a bit better in reinsurance than people may have expected going into 2021, certainly 2020. Some of that was due to government support. And I think trade credit reinsurers have done quite well out of that. That's another area where they've been willing to take on more proportional business or follow business, if you will, because the general
0: macro trends that are happening in trade credit are quite interesting. How is this renewal stacking up and boding for the rest of 2022? What sort of directions is it sending us in? Okay, well, for the last five years, I think with the possible exception of
2: 2018, the mid-year renewals have been up more than the January 1st renewals, uh, in the United States anyway, the June 1st and the July firsts. So, I'd certainly expect that trend to continue this year. If you look at how the renewal played out in December, we were moving our point estimates around all the way up until the end of the year. And the point estimates certainly in property cat and in cat retro, They weren't moving lower at the end of the year. They were moving higher. So it seems clear that there's a lot of momentum going into the year, and I'm quite sure that that will manifest in the Florida renewals and in the broader national renewals in North America mid-year. I think that 1-4 is going to be less pronounced, perhaps, unless, of course, we have a big event. But in terms of mid-year, it seems like there's plenty of momentum in Property Cat it seems like there's plenty of momentum in cyber. It even seems like there's plenty of momentum in casualty excess of loss, particularly when you look at some of the general liability and financial lines, DNO, where we've got court judgments coming down the pike at us. So it feels like there's probably more momentum now than people might have thought there would have been maybe six months ago going into next year. Because it's important
0: to differentiate in casualty. Excess of loss has been much harder. Yep. Nothing like the proportional. Correct. So our number is a blend of both, and it's brought down a little bit by the proportional. So still plenty more to come. The only thing is, obviously we're talking about record capital. Yeah. We're talking about an industry that despite a really horrible year on it ranks in the top 10 worst horrible years we've had for cats and known and unknown cats. Yeah, It's still a pretty bad year, but we're making a profit. We are. Reinsurers are going to make a profit, probably. Probably, yeah. It more or less like... this year. We'll break yeah. even, right? But you know, something below 100. And, and we know that lots of specialty markets, we've got projection for Lloyd's of very healthy looking combined ratio. Mm-hmm. So in general, does that tell us that everyone should be pretty happy isn't price overall in the whole world Mm -hmm. fairly adequate
2: well don't forget reinsurers need to make a profit over the cycle to service their cost of capital. Their capital isn't free, so if we were in a situation where reinsurers were consistently not making a profit, that would be quite worrying. We want reinsurers to make a profit. They're not public utilities. They're in business to make a profit and they have to service that capital that pays the claims ultimately. So yeah, I think there's a couple things happening there. Reinsurers are making a profit. There's plenty of capital out there, but the real question isn't about the profit of 2021. It's about about forward estimates. What's going to happen in 2022 and 2023? What are our exposures not just in property cat, but yes in property cat, but also in cyber and other areas? What happens to inflation and discount rates as we come out of COVID? Are we going to have an environment where we continue to have a one handle on the 10-year and, you know, high-grade fixed income securities are going to continue not to yield anything? Is inflation transitory? All of that volatility increases the cost of reinsurance capital, and that requires profit to service. So I think that it's right and proper that the reinsurance sector earns its cost of
0: capital and not too much more. And I think that's what we're doing this year, actually. So it's a fairly kind of Goldilocks. This one's just right, is it? This market? Um <laughs> we'll
2: only know with the benefit of hindsight, of course. You mentioned Goldilocks. If you're just entering certain areas of the market as a proportional writer right now, you are coming into an environment where rates are relatively high. If in fact losses prove to have been temporary and transient, and I am thinking about DNO I am thinking about cyber. If indeed we do get a handle on cyber longer term, then this is the time to come in now rather than later after we go over the top of the uh, parabola. But we will only know that with hindsight.
0: There was another little snippet before yes. we sign off of, okay. about inflation and insurance or insurance, how it performs during periods of inflation. We obviously be seeing five percent headline CPI inflation. Yeah. We know that the market was probably discounting it. Bond yields are only at sort of one and a half or whatever, and mm-hmm. the, so the market's obviously discounting this as being temporary post-COVID supply chain inflation that will go away after a year. Correct. But you did some really good analysis in your, your report about inflation is not necessarily such a bad thing for insurers and reinsurers.
2: That's right. If you look at our analysis that we do in the report, we correlate returns on equity for insurance carriers, I think going back to 1970. Back to when there was
0: proper old-fashioned inflation.
2: Yeah. And, and, and back then, in, in insurance returns on equity used to be higher. And there is a correlation, although it hasn't seemed to hold up recently, which in itself is interesting. But yeah, when there is more inflation insurance carriers have higher ROEs. They did in the 70s and 80s have higher ROEs than they do now. So there's definitely a correlation. And this goes right back to that cost of capital point. When there's higher inflation, There are generally higher interest rates, higher borrowing costs, and higher costs of capital. Therefore, you have to have a higher return on capital to service that higher cost of capital. So it's natural that returns on equity will have come down during this great moderation as we've gone into this more disinflationary period. The question now is, if inflation isn't transitory, do insurers and reinsurers have to make higher ROEs to service their costs of capital? And the answer, according to classical financial theory, is yes. And that plays out in our regression that we do in the report.
0: They'll know when they have to raise some more capital. They know what it costs, and then they'll just have to price everything in. <laughs> David, thank you so much for a really epic world tour of your report. <laughs> I really commend the brilliant. report to everybody. I'm going to make sure I read it at least a couple more times because. There's one thing skimming through it. There's a lot in there. There's a huge amount in there. I know you called it times are changing, but you could call it everything you absolutely need to know about the insurance and reinsurance market in 2021-22. But David, it's absolutely exceptional. And thanks so much for coming back onto The Voice of Insurance and make sure you come back soon. Always a delight, Mark. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, don't forget to subscribe or leave a like or a review or recommendation on whatever podcast platform you used to access this program. These really help get the word out. Before we go, just a quick reminder that advertising slots are available here and in other places in the Voice of Insurance podcasts. Podcasting is the fastest growing medium and attracts a high quality audience of key decision makers. It's also an intimate medium where you, the listener, are right in the room with me and the interview subjects. Needless to say, that means it's a great way of getting your message out directly to an audience because you know you've got their full attention. It's also very cost effective. So get in touch with Mark at thevoiceofinsurance.com to find out how you could be speaking directly to the industry. The Voice of Insurance is produced in association with Advantage Go, enabling an enterprise view of exposure. Voice of Insurance is produced by me, Mark Gagan. Music was written by Anna Gagan and produced by Carlos Gagan. Check out more podcasts and written comment pieces at www thevoiceofinsurance.com